Welcome to episode 23. This is the Jordan episode, so there's a lot of pressure for it to be good. It is Tuesday, and I have finally missed a day of recording. I didn't want to record last night because it was getting really late, and I've been staying up way too late these past seven days or so, so I said enough is enough. I need to go to bed early, and the people in the U.S. will get the episode Monday night instead of Monday at midday, so it is still Monday technically, so I haven't missed the day, just the time that I usually record. I thought on today's episode that I would just talk about mostly Disney Sea because I went on Tuesday. I was just going to briefly glide over it, and then I decided, you know what? Let me just make a little guide for this because if you ever go, there are a lot of things that I think would be helpful to know. So I'm going to do that. But first, I wanted to talk about my sleep schedule. I've been putting up some crazy stats when it comes to the hours I've been sleeping. And this is by no means supposed to be a good thing. I'm aware of how awful this is, but I've had a really difficult time more so than ever to go to sleep because I have a new obsession I happened to stumble upon the chess grand finals there every two years, and I think I've found it on Wednesday. So right now it's going on. It's happening in London, and it started, I think, November 9th, and it goes all the way to the end of November. It's 12 games, and so far there's been eight. The eighth game was last night. Every single game so far has been a draw, which is crazy. I don't have much experience with chess. I was in the chess club in fourth grade. That's my claim to fame. I remember I beat the, uh, I beat the, we called him the chess master, which is really cringy saying that out loud, but we called him the chess master. Is that what his name was? The chess master? I don't even remember. It can't, it couldn't have been the chess master. Who would call, who would call them the chess master? It might've been the chess master. Oh, well, who cares? But yes, I beat him. And I remember how happy and excited I was that I beat him because I was so young and you know what? Maybe I could have been a chess prodigy. Maybe I missed out on my opportunity. But looking at it now at the old age of 26, I am absolutely positive that there's no way I actually beat him. And he probably just let me win because yeah, there's just no way, man. There's no way. So anyways, about this chess, this chess grand finals, it's really interesting. It's completely different than what I thought it would be. There's press conferences after every game, which I think it's really interesting because it's almost, it's almost like a sport in a way, like the, the format it follows, it's very much like a sport. So there's press conferences after the games. There's been, I think, an average of 45,000 people watching for the games on Twitch. The games go extremely long. The second game was seven hours and then game six was six and a half. And I actually watched most of game six live, which is which is insane that I was able to watch for that long without being distracted or bored. I was very much in tune with what was going on or trying to understand. It was very interesting to me. Here's my here's my sleep schedule the last the last week. Here we go. So the Tuesday I went to Disneyland. I went to bed at three that night. Wednesday is when the chess discovery comes, right? So that's 4 a.m. Thursday, I went to bed at 12 p.m. That's right. I didn't go to sleep through the night and I went to bed at 12. I don't even remember either what times I was waking up. It was mostly in the afternoon every day. Friday, I went to bed at 4 a.m. Saturday, I went to bed at 6 a.m. And then Sunday, this last Sunday, I didn't even go to sleep because I said enough is enough. I need to figure out my sleep schedule. 
I need to just stay up through the night and then I'll hopefully be able to go to sleep early on Monday, which I did. I went to bed at 1230, which is a lot better than everything I just said. The reason why I've been going to bed so late, I've just, like I said, I'm obsessed with this this whole chess thing. It's not even just the tournament. It's actually playing the game as well. Every single ounce of time so far this week, I'm not even kidding. It's gone to either like playing chess or watching the, the chess tournament or learning about chess. I don't understand why it's just so fascinating and addicting for me, but it is. And it really makes me wonder why that's the case and why can't I apply that sort of effort and passion or interest in other things I'm trying to do. I've really been trying to figure that question out this last week. Don't have an answer yet, but I'm obsessed. Like I, there's an app. I found this app. Okay. I found two apps, which I'm going to get into the two players in this tournament in a second, but I found two apps. One of the apps is this chess app and they also have a website and the way they've designed this website and the way it works, it literally is almost like playing a video game. You can play many different people. There's thousands of people playing at one time and they have all these different game modes, whether it's speed chess or just normal chess, there's all these different time limits that you can play with. And then they have such great learning materials. They have ways to learn like the different numbers and letters on the board, the different moves that are good, how to get checkmates with certain pieces, all these different strategies. It's a great resource if you want to learn how to play chess. And I've just been devouring it so I have the app as well. And while I'm walking or going to the train to go somewhere, I'm literally playing chess games. I'm playing the quick three minute games. The app's called Lie Chess. If you want to, maybe you happen to already be into chess. Maybe you're actually watching the finals as well and you want to start playing. It's called Lie Chess, the app. And the second app, so to get into the two players in this grand finals. And by the way, the prize is a million dollars, which is crazy, right? You can be a millionaire playing chess, just one tournament and you, you're you a millionaire, pretty cool. So the two players, Magnus Carlsen is from Norway and then Fabiano Coruana is from the US. I want Magnus to win, which is, I guess, going against my brethren because gotta rep US, but no, I want Magnus to win. So Magnus is 27. And he has an arrogant bad boy air to him, which is funny because you would think as a chess player, I don't know, I I personally would have, if you told me a chess player before, just like a video, just like a gamer back in the day, I would think, you know, nerdy, thin, probably socially awkward, right? And he is just the complete opposite of that. He says what's on his mind. He has pretty humorous responses and he just doesn't really, he has that zero Fs mentality which I guess makes sense because he is considered by some and he's definitely in the conversation for whether or not he's the greatest chess player of all time. He's currently number one in the world, not only in normal chess. I don't even know if you would call it normal chess. We'll just say normal chess, but he's in normal chess and then blitz chess, which is just where you have a lot less time to make your moves. I want to say it's... What is it? Is it three minutes, five minutes, maybe even? Yeah, I think it's like in the three to five minute range or maybe even in the 25 minute range. There's like I said, there's all these different modes. So it's just crazy, though, watching him play and how fast he's able to make moves, especially when he's playing like these three to five minute games. There's a lot of YouTube videos online of him playing in these tournaments on this app that I use this website. And what it is, is uh, you play as many chess games as you can in a certain uh, amount of time. And then whoever has the highest score at the end is the winner for the the tournament. And so there's videos of him just like going in there, 
tournaments already started right and he'll end up in third place or him winning tournaments him going undefeated him winning like many games in a row and it's funny because he uses he uses these anonymous names these really funny anonymous names on for accounts he has all these different accounts that he uses and so like a lot of the people that end up putting the videos online it's them trying to discover if that that's him or not because they don't know for for 100 percent certainty if it is him or not so it's just it's really interesting with him he has his own app actually which i found yesterday and it's called play magnus where you literally get to play a computerized like ai version of his play style i'd imagine is how it is and you can play him at every single age since he started playing chess so from the age of 5 to 27 you can pick the age you want to play him and there's like a timeline of what he's achieved and where he's at in his chess journey so you can choose i played him at 5 11 and 27 just to see how it was i played it really quickly the five-year-old, as you can imagine, for whatever reason, I was thinking he was going to smoke me at five years old. I was thinking he's going to be a prodigy already, but that's when he just started playing. And the moves that the computer were, was actually making were terrible. So that I won easily. The 11-year-old I lost, and I feel absolutely no shame in losing to an 11-year-old. And then the 27-year-old version, the, the present-day version of Magnus, he won, I think, in five or six moves. So... As you can imagine, that's probably right on par with what would actually happen. And then the the app itself is really high rated, which surprised me. It's five out of five stars and it's got like over a thousand reviews. So clearly it's a pretty good app. The second player who Magnus is playing, oh, and I should really mention really fast too, Magnus has won these last two uh, Grand Chess Tour finals. Uh, they're every two years and he's won the last two. So he is looking to defend for the third time once again, it goes to show why he's considered one of the greatest of all time. The person that Magnus is playing, and I have to admit I don't know much about him because I've just been researching Magnus because he's the more intriguing figure, but Karuana is 26. So both these guys are really young, which is cool to see because I imagine a lot of the, the the really good chess players are probably in their older years and chess isn't one of those things where you need to be a certain age to be continue to be successful like a lot of professional sports so I would think you know with the wisdom that you gain over years and years that being old there's probably a lot of older chess players so to see some young guys especially around my age it's cool to see Karwan is 26 he is the complete opposite of Magnus in terms of observing him he's more humble and I'd say he fits more of that that what you would expect out of a what a chess player would would look like or act like super humble really nice and just is the, like I said the complete opposite of him so eight games have passed so far we have four more it's 12 game series first one to six and a half points is the champion you get a point for winning and then half a point for a draw so with eight draws now we'll see what happens i think it's probably going to go to sudden death what happens is if there's 12 draws which happens more than you would think they go to play blitz chess so instead of having the allotted time that they have they'd only have 25 minutes total to play the games and magnus is considered to win that because he is the best speed chess player as well in the world right now whereas karawan is not as good still really good but not as good as magnus so we'll see what happens with that i'm rooting for magnus as i said these games like i mentioned like seven hours for a game right they have initially 100 minutes and then after a certain number of moves it goes another 50 minutes is added to their time then after another certain amount of moves they get 15 extra minutes and that's the last 
uh, amount of time that they'll get added to the overall clock as well as having 30 seconds, I think, added to your time with each move. So if you're making a move in two seconds, you're banking 28 seconds towards your overall time. If you run out of time, you lose the game. That hasn't happened yet, but there's been some close calls. That's all I have to say about about chess. Like I said, I'm obsessed. I don't understand why, but it is so much fun to me. What's fu- what's What's absolutely hilarious too is these games on Twitch, it's not actually a live stream of them. It's just a live chessboard you're watching. And then depending on what stream you're watching, it's the person analyzing what's going on and going over potential moves on an analysis board. If you don't know, uh, AI is really becoming more and more sophisticated when it comes to chess. And if you've ever heard about, you know, like a, a AI computer beating a human in chess and like people playing against the computer, there's all these engines now that you can use. And so this live chess website as well, they have their engine so you can see what the best moves are. And then it's really helpful because watching these two play, it's really hard to follow on a lot of the moves they make are always the best moves that the computer engine recommends, which is crazy. People like to say that they they just work like AI computers that's how they play chess because they're just so accurate with the best moves, the most optimal moves always. They rarely make mistakes, these two. In the stream, it's just one analysis board, one chess board on the side of the actual game going on, and then the person talking. So it's not like you're getting much visual stimulus or anything like that. So once again, it makes me like, why? Why are you so why are you so into this, Connor? It doesn't make sense. But anyways. Now to get into Disney Sea. So as I said, I went on Tuesday and it was an enjoyable experience. The weather was perfect. Thank the Lord it was in the low 60s and it was cloudy out. That is the ideal weather for me. I love it so much. Disney Sea, for anyone that doesn't know, it's the resort of Disneyland in Tokyo. So if you're looking to go, I don't know. I don't know if anyone would plan their trip around Disneyland going to a country, right? Going to Tokyo and planning it around Disneyland, but that is an option if you wanted to stay on the resort. It is a very nice hotel. I would say that this Disney Sea theme park is probably my favorite park I've ever been to in terms of the way it looks. It's such a great design and it's just it's just amazing. You have in the center of the park a huge open body of water and then around on the outsides in a huge circles where you go to all the different areas within the park and the things that they have they just have things that you know you don't see in the Disneyland in California which is the one I'm used to they have Aladdin themed things they have the little mermaid just a lot of different things that are Disneyland I like to say our Disneyland the the American Disneyland the the things that we don't have. And I haven't been to Disney World in a long time, so I don't actually remember what it's like there. Maybe it's very similar. Who knows? But to get into it, I'm going to go over all the different areas and the rides and the food because I think that would be helpful. One of the things that I regret is that we didn't really plan anything because you know like why do you need to plan you just go to enjoy it right you wouldn't think you need to plan it but it actually was kind of a place where it probably would have been better to plan because it is a lot larger than Disneyland I don't know why but Disneyland just feels really small especially being older now it's really easy to walk to the different rides it doesn't take very long but 
at Disney Sea, it took forever to go to the different areas and we were going back and forth. We weren't very efficient in our selection of rides. We kind of went from one area of the theme park to another and back and forth. And that took a lot of time walking. So that was a huge issue. And then a lot of the things that we wanted to try, we actually weren't able to try because we couldn't either find them or they were closed because it was too late. So definitely plan your trip if you're going to go. As far as the layout of the theme park, so when you walk in, like I said, you see this huge body of water and it's called Mediterranean Harbor. That's where all the shows are. It's got a pirate ship in one of the corners and there's like a fortress that you can go explore as well and there's all these different objects in the water these boats because it's christmas right now they have these christmas themed boats in the i don't even know if you'd call them boats they're these weird looking things it almost looks like a huge giant wedding cake but it's not and like i said christmas colors so that was really cool initially i say that is probably the most stunning thing about the park and something that's pretty unique once you go through mediterranean harbor you hit mystery island and mystery island is where the scary rides are i did not go on any of the rides in mystery island one of the rides was actually closed i'll get into that in a few minutes but mystery island what it is is one of the rides has a huge volcano and there's a drop from there so it almost, I I think more of um, Waterworld, if you've ever seen that movie, that's the kind of vibe I got. There's once again, another big body of water in the center and you're surrounded by mountainous terrain on every side. And then there's that huge looking volcano where one of the rides is. Once you go through Mystery Island, then you have Mermaid Lagoon and that's where you start to get the rides for the younglings. That's the Little Mermaid theme area of the park. They have this indoor area that you can go in as well where it is designed like the bottom of the ocean and it's a very unique thing to see it's really a cool thing i enjoyed that part of the park even though the rides were were not for me we'll just say we did go on the the, the kids rides but it just it just it's not it's not fun anymore when you're an adult <laughs> Arabian Coast, that's the Aladdin themed one. And so from Mermaid Lagoon, if you go to the right, that's Arabian Coast, okay? And if you go straight through Mermaid Lagoon, that's called the Lost River Delta. That's the, the Indiana Jones theme part of the park. To the left of Mermaid Lagoon is Port Discovery. They have a Lilo and Stitch ride there and there's a couple other water type rides. If you go below, uh, they have American Waterfront and that's where they have Tower of Terror in that area of the park. I am not a fan of that one. We didn't go on that one. Once you get through Lost River Delta, you're going back towards Mediterranean Harbor. And if you see this section of the park, it's kind of tucked away. It's hard to see, but as you're walking back towards Mediterranean Harbor, you'll run into the Toy Story part of the theme park. And there's only one ride there huge lines that was one of the longest waits we didn't actually get to go on the toy story ride i don't even know if it's really a ride it was a 3d show but there is a ride component to it so we did not get to do that because of the wait time it was an hour and a half wait which was terrible i think tower of terror not that i'd ever want to go on that but that was an hour and 40 minute rate wait which i i can't even imagine spending that much time waiting that long as far as the rides you should go on, if you're an adult and you don't have kids, if you're a teenager you don't have kids, hopefully you don't have kids, but if you do, you know what, that's all right. There's five rides, I think, that are worth going on. These are the adult 
like rides or like the rides that adults would enjoy. The first ride, Raging Spirits, that one is in the Lost River Delta where Indiana Jones is. This ride was the most fun ride. It's really fast. It's not, and by fast, I mean it's a quick ride. Like it doesn't last very long, but it is fun. There's a lot of twists and turns and there is actually a loop. I've never been on a ride with a loop before. It was my first time. I was so tired throughout the day that I didn't even really care that there was a loop. I was just exhausted and I wanted some sort of adrenaline rush. I was like, you know what? Let's go on Raging Spirits because we weren't gonna go on it. I don't like loops. The idea of a loop scares me. Loops and drops aren't my thing, which is why Disneyland in California is so perfect for me. Mine is Splash Mountain because the rides aren't that scary in my opinion. So I just said, you know what? Let's do it. And it was fun. The loop wasn't the biggest either, which is why I thought I'd go on it. So that one's fun. Tower of Terror, like I just mentioned, that one's an American waterfront. And then Indiana Jones is in Lost River Delta. That one is very much similar to the one in Disneyland, California. They did skip a few parts. It was weird because like I said, it's supposed to be the exact same ride and it is very much the same ride, but there were little parts that I remember from the one in California that they didn't have in this one. So that was kind of weird that they copied the ride basically, but then it was a little bit different or not even different. They just like left some things out, which I thought was, which was weird. So the ride with the big drop, the one that's the, the you go into this volcano and you drop from the top. The volcano also shoots out fire, which is pretty crazy that that's a feature of the park. That one's called Journey to the Center of the Earth. And that one is basically Jurassic Park. If you've ever been in Universal Studios Hollywood and you've gone on Jurassic Park and you've had that drop before, that's what that ride is. It's slow the whole way through. And then there's the big drop at the end. So did not go on that one. I'm not a fan of drops. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, that ride was closed. I was hoping to go on that one, but it wasn't. Another thing that's cool to do at Disney Sea, they have gondola rides in Mediterranean Harbor. That was something I didn't get to experience in Venice because the price for doing something like that is $100. So I was like, I'm, I can't spend that much money. So I got to do a gondola ride finally in Tokyo, which is hilarious to me. It was a lot of fun. The gondolier we had actually was a really good singer and she sang for us when we were going under the bridge back to the beginning of the ride. I was surprised at how good she was. I guess they all have to sing. It's funny because there's two gondoliers and one of them sings, not both of them. So I remember hearing one of the guys from a different boat. He wasn't the best singer. He wasn't terrible. But compared to this girl, she was so amazing. And then with the echo under the bridge, it sounded so nice. I don't know why I keep thinking Harry Potter, but it reminds me of the the mermaid part of the movie. Is, is that even, or the, what are they called? Siren. Yes, the sirens. Yes, the siren parts of the movie, the sirens singing. That's kind of what her voice sounded like with the echo of the bridge. It was a very pleasant thing to hear, very pleasant on the ears. Other than those six things, I would say everything else is for the, the little ones. It's for the younger crowd. So it's not like there's a ton of rides that you can go on as an adult and you're really going to be excited. And most of the time, people that go to Disneyland that are adults have kids anyways. So I guess it doesn't really matter. But the thing that is nice is that because there's so few rides that there are actually to go on that are exciting, it makes for a much more relaxing day where you're not trying to get everything in and 
do everything imaginable in the park. As far as the food goes, now theme parks in general, it's not like you're going to have your mind blown by the food that happened to hold true here at Disney Sea. Most of the places I would just completely avoid. I really am adamant about this part. I think you should listen to me here and go to these places only. First place we actually did go to, it's called Zambini Brothers. It's Italian food. It was pretty good. Definitely can't go wrong with that. It was cheap as well. So that is a great place to go for a lunch. It's in the 10 to 15 US dollar range. Another place that looked really amazing. The interior was very unique and I think that is more the highlight of that restaurant and overall in the in the theme park is going to this place is called Magellan's. It's more of a fancy white tablecloth dining type place. Full course meals, it ranged from 18 to 45 US dollars per these are all per person by the way. For 18 to 45 US dollars online is what it said. We didn't actually go there cuz we didn't want to spend that much money, but if you know what if you're splurging, baby, if you're on vacation, you're looking to spend some money, have a good time, definitely check out Magellan's. The other place, we didn't go here, but I would recommend if I was to do it all over again, I would go here. It looked the best out of all the food that I saw at all of the restaurants. It's called the Ristorante di Canaletto, Italian food once again. But this Italian food is more fancy. Once again, more of the white tablecloth dining. And that's also 18 to 45 per person. If you get pizza... It's $18, so it's an $18 pizza. The pizzas looked delicious. They have pizza, pasta, other things. And yeah, like I said, that might be a good place to check out for dinner. I really wish we went there, but we did not because gotta eat to get full. And for me, eating an $18 pizza is probably not gonna fill me up. The fourth place, the Teddy Roosevelt Lounge. This is a, is a well, you can thank Teddy Roosevelt, right? So it's very much a saloon looking place it's a great place to grab a drink if you're looking for one and i mean an alcoholic beverage not a normal drink the best thing we had all day as far as food was from this place they have this sundae it's 11 dollars ice cream sundae it comes with whipped cream chocolate and raspberry ice cream and then below the ice cream they have raspberry jelly and chocolate pudding at the bottom of it absolutely delicious definitely recommend you try that we also had a pastrami and salami sandwich with fries pretty good not bad if you need a meal if you end up going there i would get that they only have two things on the menu and that was the cheaper one that one was like 15 dollars or so for the sandwich the fifth place i check out is restaurant sakura that is the traditional japanese restaurant it's tempura online it said it was in the nine to eighteen dollar range i don't know if that's per person or per dish but if you do want to you know eat your japanese food if you want to experience the the food cuisine at disneyland you can go there that's the only restaurant they have that is traditional japanese i've had it everywhere else you know throughout tokyo so it's not like we had to have that but that might also be a good option for lunch because it's light and you know think when you're going on rides and things like that it's not always the best to have a heavy meal because it might come on up the last restaurant which we actually went to this one i'd say is a one to avoid it's called volcania restaurant this place is chinese food and it was not good it was gross i don't think you should get it i was worried i was going to get sick from it afterwards on one of the rides but i would end up being fine the overall thing that I took away from all the restaurants in general 
was just you're going there more for the ambiance more than the actual food a lot of the interiors of the restaurants are really impressive to see one place in particular i'm thinking of that we also didn't go to was called the casba food court and that's in the arabian coast part of the theme park that is all different kinds of curry they have your indian curries your japanese curries so that might be a place to check out as well. I had curry actually the night before, so I didn't want to eat that at Disney Sea. The rest of the restaurants, Zimbini Brothers, that is in Mediterranean Harbor. Magellan's is in Mediterranean Harbor, where the fortress and ship that I mentioned earlier are at. Restaurante di Canaletto. Mediterranean Harbor, that seems to be the theme. The Teddy Roosevelt Lounge, that one's in the... American Waterfront, very close to Mediterranean Harbor once again. And then Restaurant Sakura is also in the Mediterranean Harbor area. Volcania Restaurant, that's in Mystery Island if you do want to go there and get Chinese food. Like I said, don't recommend it. That's really funny, actually, now that I think about it. All the restaurants seem to be in Mediterranean Harbor minus the Casba food court. So that's pretty convenient to be all in one area. For the snacks, maybe you're hungry throughout the day. You don't want to go sit down at a restaurant. The things that seemed interesting to me, I didn't try all of these things, but the things that I would eat because there were a lot of Instagram worthy snacks they had that didn't necessarily sound the best to me. So I, we didn't eat them, but... They have potato churros. Didn't end up having one because the line was really long. There's only one place you can get a potato churro in Disney Sea. It's a refreshment stand right when you're walking into Mystery Island. That's the only one. We passed it probably three or four times and we kept saying, oh, we'll probably be able to find these somewhere else. So let's just get it somewhere else. The line's way too long. And that is actually the only place that you can get those types of churros specifically. They also have Mickey Mouse churros. There's more than one one location for that. They have Little Green Alien Mochi from Toy Story, those green aliens. They have mochi that are those little aliens. They're really great for a photo. Didn't actually get to end up eating those because in the Toy Story section of the park, that's where you would get them. They stopped serving them at 5 p.m. I don't remember specifically if it was because that place just closed or if they had run out, but that's something if you want to eat it, you definitely want to get it earlier in the day. Sea salt ice cream sandwiches in the shape of a seashell. You can get those at different ice cream stands throughout the park. That's easy. The only other thing that I really, really actually wish that we tried, they have fried chicken waffle sandwiches. That's in Frontierland at Camp Woodchuck. Those looked amazing looking online at the photos, and I don't even think we even tried to find out where we could eat them. That's something I think we forgot. Another thing to avoid as far as the snacks go. They do have gelato in Mediterranean Harbor, and we had that. It was really bad. It, it was way too overpowering with the flavors that they had, and it wasn't gelato. It was basically just ice cream. Not good. Don't recommend it. Definitely go to the Teddy Roosevelt Lounge for that ice cream sundae if you do want ice cream. Now that I've been to Disney Sea, if I could do it all over again, the restaurants I would go to and recommend. So let's say you're going to splurge. Let's say you just got that raise maybe at work. Maybe you won the lottery, who knows, you might have robbed a bank and you're looking to spend some money, you want to have good food experiences. For lunch, I would 
Go to Magellan's to see the interior of the restaurant. And then for dinner, I would do the Ristorante di Canaletto. That, like I said, looked like the best food out of any place there was. And then I'd do a dessert late at night. Maybe you can get a drink too. Go to the Teddy Roosevelt Lounge and get that Sunday because it's the best thing I promise that you will eat minus maybe restaurant TD Canaletto since I didn't get to try that. If you're looking for cheaper options, I would do Zambini Brothers or Casba Food Court for lunch. And then for dinner, I would do... Restaurant TD Canaletto again, maybe to spend some money, or you could just do the Teddy Roosevelt lunch like we did, where we got the ice cream sundae and the the pastrami and salami sandwich. I do think it'd be hard not to spend some money at one of the restaurants, depending on if it's lunch or dinner, right? You kind of run out of options throughout the day, unless you're just going to eat, you know, food court type food all the time, which is, you know, nothing wrong with that. If you're looking to experience some Japanese food, maybe. During your time in Japan, you didn't get a chance to have tempura for lunch. Then you could do the restaurant Sakura. And then for dinner, once again, gotta gotta be that Italian, man. Gotta get the Italian. So that's the one thing, I guess, my one takeaway. Gotta eat that Italian food, man. It just looks so freaking amazing. What's nice about the holidays, what's nice about going during Christmas time is that they have the Christmas show. That was at the beginning of the day when we got there, we actually timed it perfectly for getting to the theme park. One of the Christmas shows was just about to start, so we got to watch that. It was, I'd say, around 20 to 25 minutes. The singers actually sang in English, which was nice for me because don't speak Japanese, but everyone else in the show, all, all Japanese. So that was really exciting. Loved that. They had, you know, all the Disney characters and then they had dancers throughout the outskirts of the Mediterranean Harbor on all sides. Really great show. The other show, which if you've never seen this, I think it's a must-see show. I'm pretty sure that it is easy to see if you go to Disneyland, but it's called Disney's Fantasmic and they have that at Disneyland California as well. Specifically in Tokyo for Disneyland, there you can only see this show at Disney Sea. You cannot see it at Disneyland, so keep that in mind. This show is around 25 to 30 minutes, and what it is is, you know, the story of good versus evil. It's Mickey Mouse prevailing over the villains of Disney World. They had a dragon breathing fire. Really breathtaking to see. When they play The Lion King, when the circle of life comes on, man, it's happened. I've seen the show twice now. When that song comes on, it just gives me goosebumps. These sh- I can't recommend this show enough. It's one of the greatest things that you could ever see at a theme park or pers- maybe even live performances. It's just, it's so, the amount of thought and moving pieces that go into this thing and just everything, the design, the the robotics that they have, the fireworks. It's just such a thing to witness, such a marvel to witness. I was thinking about with the Lion King song. I feel like everyone for the Circle of Life, you know, at the beginning of the song where it has the, it's a Zulu tribe or person singing the beginning of the song, like, you know, the ah, the ah, Sabenya. So I used to think it was ah, Sabenya like Mana Bichu Bobo or something, or Baba, something like that, right? I feel like everyone gets it wrong. You just kind of like, 
you just kind of like muffle words to go like, like that's literally how I do it. So I actually looked it up because I wanted to know how you're supposed to do it. And I have to say that I was completely off. No surprise there. We're going to do a lesson in the beginning of the circle of life for anyone that like me has been pronouncing it completely wrong and has never had any idea. It goes nans ingonia mabakiti baba. Completely butchered it for my entire life, which is terrible. So nans ingonia mabakiti baba. Nans ingonia mabakiti baba. Yeah, that doesn't sound anything like think. Okay, so how I used to pronounce it. Yeah, that sounds way better. Okay, so you've been updated. Now you know how to pronounce it, hopefully. You can look it up if you need to, too, on YouTube. Just type in Circle of Life, Disney's The Lion King official lyric video, and they have all the lyrics there for you so you can sing along. Overall tips, which I don't have many, but overall tips for your experience at Disney Sea. Everything, as you can imagine, is in Japanese. So all of the shows that they have at the theme park, whether it's, uh, you know, they have the 3D shows usually, those are all in Japanese. So it's kind of a waste of time if you don't speak Japanese to go to those shows. We went to one of the shows not even thinking about the fact that it would be in Japanese. And so I had to sit through it not knowing what was going on, which was interesting, just all these Japanese people surrounding me laughing at this show. And I'm just, you know, not laughing because I don't know. I don't know what the heck's going on. And then, as I mentioned earlier, just plan in advance so you can really maximize your time there. Really enjoyed Disney Sea. I am going to Disneyland in Tokyo as well, closer to Christmas. So I can then let everyone know which one I liked better. If I had to choose one right now, at least, I would probably pick Disneyland if you don't have kids because I just think the the rides that they have at Disneyland, it's a lot more enjoyable for a person that likes roller coasters and can go on roller coasters. If you want more of a relaxing experience or have kids, maybe you just want a chill day, just lounge around, eat some food, experience all the sights, then I would choose Disney Sea. One thing I did try to do throughout the day, I actually tried to vlog. I brought my camera to vlog the experience because I thought maybe it would be a fun thing to be able to edit a video and have it of Disneyland. And I have to say that it was pretty discouraging watching all of the all of the things that I recorded throughout the day because it just it was difficult to record. For most people, there's going to be insecurity there's going to be a self-consciousness involved with doing something like that because I mean I'm no exception to that that's something I struggle with I think everyone whether it's being camera shy or just bringing attention to yourself essentially when you're out in public I think that's something that's really difficult it's something you have to keep doing continuously to get over and so to watch all the things that I recorded it was really discouraging on the one hand because I was just like, wow, this is if this is what it's going to be like if I ever wanted to put videos out like this is not this is not good because I just didn't have much energy. I just didn't it didn't look like me. It didn't feel like me. I just thought it was very this is my own personal opinion. Obviously, your your own toughest critic. Right. But it just felt very just like I, I don't even know what to say, like cringy. It just to if I actually put a video out 
and I can tell you now these these clips are never going to see the light of day. But if I actually put that video out, I just oh, I could not do it because it's just so bad in my opinion. I think what it comes down to is you you you're just in your own head. I was just in my own head and with anything in life, I feel like when you're out of your head, that's when you're you're completely yourself. And I was just in my head thinking about what if people are watching me or like, this is embarrassing. You really have to put yourself out there in a sense, right? And you kind of have to give more, you have to bring more energy. And to do that, you sort of have to get over the fact of maybe you look stupid or maybe you feel stupid. And I just wasn't really to, willing to do that in the moment. So I think it was a good first step. I, the other part of me is like, well, that's your first time. Obviously, don't take too much. Don't take too much stock into it. And I wasn't as self-conscious as I usually am filming. I think part of that is because most of the people don't speak English that I was surrounded by. So that is a nice thing in a way because at least they don't understand you so you can you kind of have that going for you you're kind of behind the curtain a little bit just thought i'd mention that i do want to try more when it comes to taking video because i think i need to continue to get over the idea in public of you know publicly filming and getting over the embarrassment or the self-consciousness that comes with that this is going to be the end of the episode Thank you all for listening. Follow me on Instagram at Conjay Hancock or send me an email if you have any questions. Maybe you want to know more about Disney Sea. Maybe you want to figure out which one you should go to, Disney Sea or Disneyland. I'll be able to tell you that in a month or so. So that's my email. If you liked this episode, please leave a review for the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Hope everyone has a wonderful week. And I'll see you guys next Monday. Thanks for listening.